Hello and welcome to the Red Intelligence Podcast. My name is David Orby Graves, one of the editors in the Red Semia team based in London. Today we'll be discussing the Republic of Ghana and its increasingly troubling debt situation. Um, and for those listening who are new to the story, I'll start with a quick recap to set the scene. Uh, Ghana's debt is increasingly seen as being on an unsustainable trajectory, with many of the country's eurobonds now trading in the 40s, suggesting a future debt restructuring has already been priced in by the markets. Um, according to S&P calculations, interest to revenues grew from 36% to 20, in 2016 to 47% last year and is forecast to peak at more than 50% in 2023. Meanwhile, the debt to GDP ratio is expected to hit a high of nearly 81% this year, having been about 56% back in 2016. Uh, with substantial rollover requirements and Ghana currently locked out of international markets, the authorities are now reportedly in discussions for a $3 billion funding package from the IMF. However, worryingly, Goldman Sachs warned in a recent research note that the country is showing, and I quote here, a lack of urgency in striking a deal with the fund. This raises the prospect that the central bank could be used to further finance the deficit, putting further pressure on the local currency, the CD. I'm joined today uh, by Red Senior Analyst Mark Boland, Gazia Sheikh, our legal analyst, as well as Juliana Vilkos, another of the editors and journalists in the CMEA team. All three have been writing about and researching the Ghana story for some time and charting the sub-Saharan country's descent into financial stress. So let's turn first to you, Mark. Um, there's a growing perception that Ghana will need to restructure its debt, as I mentioned. The country appears locked out of the international borrowing markets for now. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how we got here and, and whether or not you think a restructuring is an inevitability now. Yeah, so Ghana has for a long time, together with Zambia, I mean, back since 2014, 15, even earlier, to be honest, been one of the countries in Africa that I've been most concerned about in terms of debt sustainability. And this has been to do to due to the large fiscal deficits and the sort of high interest cost to government revenue ratio. And, uh, you know, also it has been over the past decade, I mean, it has had access to uh, plentiful financing, both domestically and externally, and they've borrowed uh, multi-billion amounts from the Eurobond market every year, uh, with the exception of 2017-17. So, I mean, as with Zambia, the sort of attraction of foreign investors has been that Ghana has regular foreign exchange earnings. It's been traditionally cocoa and gold exports, and also since uh, 2011, also oil exports. And when they came to the market, they offered, you know, they were prepared to pay high high interest rates, accept high yields on the eurobonds. And these presentations to eurobond investors were often made by officials, educators, UK public schools, universities, and they could speak very well and impress these potential investors. So, I mean, less attention was paid to to fiscal policy, which has been very expansive over the past over the past. Uh, past decade and a half, I think it is worth mentioning that Ghana and Zambia has over this period been among the most, well, I would say the two most competitive democracies in sub-Saharan Africa, meaning that uh, the sort of fiscal cycle has been um, 
quite tightly connected with the uh, electoral cycle, essentially. Uh, when there is an election coming, the government borrows a lot just to win the elections. So, and also another thing which domestic, well, Eurobond investors have not paid a lot of attention to has been domestic borrowing, which accounts for the vast majority of the government's interest costs. I mean, this is something that we'll come to later. But for me, so one of the largest sort of known unknowns, as it were, has been, you know, for how long the sort of international Eurobond investors would keep on buying, you know, the two to three billion uh, Eurobond offerings that Ghana would come to, uh, you know, come to the market every year, uh, bar from 2017, as I mentioned. And Ghana was quite lucky in 2020 that they came to the Eurobond market in early February uh, and got, uh, I think it was three billion then. Just because just very soon after that, uh, COVID spread across the world and credit markets and well, financial markets were in free fall and the credit market was just uh, just uh, essentially shut. So I wrote an in-depth report for RED comparing Ghana to Kenya in late 2020. And one of the key issues was if Ghana would be able to return to the Eurobond market in 2021 and secure the foreign financing, Eurobond financing it needed both for its budget and its FX reserves. And I mean, I was very skeptical that they would be able to do this, looking at the money, looking at the at the fiscal figures and also that they had that extensive uh, central bank financing in 2020 in addition to the three billion well to the eurobond money uh they raised in the early year and also the one billion they got from the imf but i i had to tweak this view at the, at the very end uh, just before i was finishing this report because you know just hearing from these uh potential investors you know that they're you know looking forward to this eurobond issue didn't seem to be concerned at all about the fiscal situation and uh and anything but i mean this this view, this market perception did change very rapidly following the Eurobond sale. It was a 3 billion Eurobond sale in March 2021. And uh, and I think this was connected to the uh, Ghanaian government uh, very quickly going back to the market, putting out feelers to raise even more money. There was talk of a, uh, a GSA, GS, GSS issuance, a sort of social bond. They were trying to raise a few billions there. And they also wanted to borrow, borrow multi-billion amounts to buy stakes and offshore oil fields. And I think this um, rush for additional financing raised alarm bells among investors and, and sparked a sell-off in Ghana's Eurobond in the second half of last year. So the view I put out, uh, you know, this report in late, late 2020 actually played out uh, stronger than I had actually expected. Uh, and, you know, Ghana was trading double digit yields uh, as of late last year. But a view among investors was that, you know, then in late 2021, that Ghana could, the government could, you know, take appropriate fiscal action, even though, you know, if you look at their fiscal figures, uh, just the invest, their interest rate cost and the government wage bill as two uh, areas which are very difficult to make any cuts actually amounted around 100% of revenue. So you would have to find cuts anywhere. Uh, so the view was that, you know, Ghana, if they'd made these cuts, they could regain Europe on market access and essentially be fine. But I mean, this was I, uh, I something that, you know, it was also viewed as, as you know, infrequence of investor causes as one of the most attractively priced eurobonds in in late 2021 and i did push against this view and just saying they're not going to regain uh eurobond access and uh, i i changed the view before this i was expecting uh 
essentially Ghana to apply for a Eurobond debt restructuring late well, in 2023, 2024. But I changed this view to uh, to uh, essentially mid to late 2022. And I mean, that is where we are now at the moment. Thanks. So, Juliana, I mean, you've been uh, you've been speaking to your market contacts about Ghana for a while. I mean, do they do they also view a restructuring as a as a certainty at, at this stage? And and also maybe you could touch on how the IMF fits into the into the picture. Would the would the IMF require that uh, Ghana restructures its external debt as part of any uh, funding package that the country might secure? Hi. So not surprisingly, there is a lot of talk about Ghana in the market right now, increasingly so after the government approached the IMF for a program earlier this summer. After months of hoping the country would muddle through and get its act together through ensuring additional revenue streams and tightening its fiscal policy, people are now coming around to the fact that an external debt restructuring will be hard to avoid. It's true that the country does not have any major eurobond maturities until 2025, but it is paying 1 billion US dollars annually in eurobond coupon payments. And with a depreciating SEDI, that may not be seen as sustainable for the duration of any IMF program. And it seems also the market has resigned to the fact that the government will not regain market access anytime soon, even with the IMF program. So now people are waiting for an IMF assessment, which is expected by December and certainly before the Christmas break, to see whether the country has a liquidity issue or a debt sustainability issue. The broad consensus is that a trigger for a credit event on Ghanaian debt would come within the next 9 to 12 months and potentially as early as the first quarter of next year. The political background to this is that, of course, the current government is not so keen on touching eurobonds and has apparently been exploring solutions to help it make debt payments sustainable in other ways. Looking at Ghana's debt payment profile, it's the domestic debt, as Mark already pointed out, which is causing Ghana the biggest headache. Ghana's interest to revenue ratio is about 47%, one of the highest out there. And some of the sovereign strategists I have been talking to say that by shaving off five percentage points of the current 20% plus interest rates on domestic debt, the government could bring that ratio down to around 30%. I've been even hearing noises of an assessment having been carried out in Ghana on the ability of local banks to absorb a haircut, and that apparently the results were reassuring. Mark, maybe uh, we could bring you back in. I mean, as Juliana kind of alluded to just there, obviously domestic debt makes up a very significant portion of of, of Ghana's overall debt. And would do you think a, a, any kind of restructuring uh, process that the country goes into would would necessarily need to address that domestic debt as well as the as the external debt, or indeed? Could a restructuring perhaps just be limited to to domestic debt? Yes, I mean Ghana is quite similar to other uh, other countries in Latin America and other places that have ended up restructuring in that they're trying to put off a debt restructuring as long as possible. And the IMF and the World Bank have over the past uh, 18 months have very much pushed for sort of early debt restructurings uh, to come to sort, of sort out your. Uh, your problems early and and then kind of restructure your debt in in any way possible. 
and and then move on. And the reason they're doing that is because there's a lot of damage you can do to your domestic economy, essentially, by postponing, well, trying to postpone the inevitable. And I think this is partly playing out at the moment. So Ghana's traditionally borrowed at yields of 15 to 25%, which sounds very high. And uh, real uh, yields have been, uh, you know, maybe five to ten percent, and has helped to draw in uh, foreign, well, foreign investors. There's a uh, been a participation in the uh, domestic market has been up to around five billion US dollars since essentially 2016, 2017. But the latest inflation print for July came in at at 32 percent. So as I mentioned in a recent report, is that the uh, public debt trajectory. Uh, if you look at take the latest uh, debt figures from June, and actually take the late and also the latest uh, nominal GDP projection for 20, uh, 2022, which was uh, um, massively increased, I think around 20% from the one in the budget presented last year. The domestic the, the debt trajectory is actually on a downward on a downward trajectory. That as a, as a percentage GDP. Which is one of the criterias for uh, the IMF mentioned as uh, for uh, declaring that uh, uh, Ghana's debt was still uh, sustainable uh, back in July 2021. What this means in real terms is that a lot of these uh, domestic investors, uh, you know, the, essentially people are lucky enough to have a pension. Uh, is that the value, the sort of purchasing value of their pension, is being dramatically eroded? And of course, this is not a good position to be for any political party. The next elections are in in December 2024. Uh, so I think I think this is what is is causing a sort of change of mind within the government. Is that yes, we are still uh, still on track. We're still servicing our external debt. They seem to take a lot of uh, um, a lot of pride in this, but at the same time, they're eroding the savings and the, also the uh, value of the currency, the SETI is essentially in a free fall. It looks like it's going to go through uh, uh, 10 uh, SETIs uh, to the US dollar level anytime soon. It was six, seven, just six months ago. So I mean, that is, of course, pushing up uh, inflation. So I think, you know, of course, a lot of uh, Eurobond holders thinks that, you know, think it's a great idea to uh, uh, to just, uh, you know, refire, well, restructured the domestic debt and uh, and not touch the eurobond and if you look at the figures you can definitely understand that but i think uh, you know these are not they wouldn't be particularly successful politicians because essentially they i think the uh, Ghanaian government will in the end look at what they're doing the domestic popularity uh, and and take action according to that so my expectation is that we're very close to a domestic debt restructuring. I think, yes, one, you know, public debt is maybe on a, on a, you know, on a, on a debt and downward trajectory. But at the same time, the uh, uh, the SETI, the valuation of SETI is pushing up the local value cost of, of servicing the eurobond yields. Uh, but if you look at the other ones, other, you know, contained, retained market access and a sustainable fiscal policy they are not being fulfilled at the moment so i think an imf program 
uh, will require that restructuring uh, with the aim of Ghana regaining Eurobond market access by 2025, which is when uh, the majority of these more substantial uh, Eurobond redemptions start and they actually continue from 2025 onwards to 2030. You have one to two billion of Eurobond debts uh, maturing every year. Just to echo Mark there, um, any potential manipulation with domestic debt is indeed seen as very challenging. And even international bondholders who often raise the issue and argue that domestic debt needs to be included in any exercise are being very careful now when they talk about potentially touching Ghana's domestic debt. They know that the IMF would be extremely cautious to include the domestic debt in any exercise. And they know that Iran and domestic banks could be very dangerous for the economy. Add to that a growing frustration of the local population with the current government, and you get your classic political setup when damned if you do and damned if you don't. This is why international bondholders do not exactly hold their breath in the hope that Ghana could just sort out its issues by restructuring domestic debt only, especially in light of the high inflation, which effectively renders those domestic interest rates negative. And investors would rather have a functioning economy at the end of it all. Still, the feedback I gleaned from my conversations is that if indeed the local banks have the capacity to absorb some haircut, then this should be considered by the government. Yes, I, I can agree with uh, that view. The uh, banks are relatively well capitalized, so they could take a haircut. So what is often a more palatable option uh, is that you uh, you cap uh, the yields on the, uh, on the uh, domestic debt. Uh, or you reduce them, you put a cap at say 15, 20%. But I think this is more likely to be the case in in Zambia, where uh, the uh, real yields on the domestic debt are very high at the moment because uh, you have this kwacha strengthening uh, very rapidly. So you had a, a government just before the uh, August 2021 election, uh, the previous government, the uh, Lungu administration, issued a lot of debt, uh, yields at 25 to 35 percent. And because uh, inflation was then around in the low 20s, around 22 percent, but now they're around uh, 9 percent. Uh, they're in single digits, of course. The real yields on that debt is, is, uh, is a 20 percentage points. Uh, positive, while the real yields on the uh, majority of Ghanaian uh, domestic debt is very negative at the moment. So, uh, and this is, you know, traditionally what you've seen in debt restructuring is that you don't adjust domestic debt, the, well, uh, through any legal matters, what Sir Gausha will talk about later. Instead, you inflate out of the domestic debt. Uh, so the real value of, of servicing it uh, decreases through inflation, and then you uh, you restructure the uh, external debt. But I'll I'll end there. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, so so it does sound as though you know it, it, people are thinking that some form of of either restructuring, reprofiling, liability management, whatever you want to call it does appear to be uh you, you know on the cards or or at least a kind of growing likelihood for for Ghana. Um, so maybe we can have a think now about what options are actually available to the country if it if it does decide to go down that path. And in particular, 
what options are available for its uh, international euro bonds. So bringing in uh, Gauzia, you, you recently wrote a report looking at the, the terms of Ghana's dollar uh, denominated bonds. Um, I know there's a couple of outliers there in terms of what terms and conditions are in there, but maybe you could set out for us just what the key terms are for, for Ghana's euro bonds regarding any changes to payment terms um, or, or, or similar uh, restructuring transactions? Sure. Thank you, David. So now, as with every sovereign, I think any change in payments for a sovereign bond typically depends on clauses, which are usually termed selective action clauses. So what these clauses do is that essentially these clauses permit the sovereign to obtain approval for any such liability management or change in terms sort of an exercise from a majority of the bondholders instead of going and seeking unanimous approval for any change. So when we studied the bonds for Ghana, uh, there are 16 euro bonds which are US denominated. We found out that 14 out of these 16 bonds had uh, CACs or collective action clauses with an option for voting by aggregation across bond series. So you could basically pull in these 14 bond series and take votes on that basis and not just on a series by series and bond by bond basis. So keeping that in mind, there are the, the one option that uh, Ghana has is to go the Ukraine way and start with what is called a multiple series aggregation with two limb voting. What this effectively means is that there are two steps involved. One is where you aggregate the bonds across all 14 bond series and you need a majority of 66 and two third percentage plus. So this is not an or option. It's 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 a it's an and option. This has to be a collective uh, voting decision. So. In addition to the 66 and two thirds votes from the aggregated pool of the 14 bonds, you also need more than 50 percent of the outstanding principal amount for bonds in each series. So there are two limbs effectively to this route. So this makes gaining approval for any change of terms relatively smoother. Now, just for argument's sake, let's let's consider that it does not work for all 14 bonds. What happens then? In that case, the bond documents also have the option of multiple series aggregation by way of single limb voting. So there's just one limb, there's just one step. You make a big pool of all the bonds that were holdouts in the first uh, case of restructuring or payment decorative. And you also take the ones who had approved the previous change in terms and you consolidate their votes for fresh terms, which may be only slightly better than the terms that you had in the first round. And then from that pool, you need a 75% uh, majority vote. Now, this is also often referred to as the Pac-Man strategy because what you are doing is basically sweeping off the holdouts on the basis of approvals that you have already received in one round of restructuring. So while this is not really a very popular approach, but yes, it is technically available. So this is the case for the 14 out of the 16 bonds. Exactly. And so so that's 14 out of the 16 bonds, but that leaves two that uh, potentially don't have any collective action clauses, correct? 
So it's it's not that they do not have a collective action clause. They do have a clause, but it's one of the older versions of the collective action clauses, and it does not provide for this aggregation across bond series. So these two bonds, which are which have maturities of 2023 and in 2026, so these two bonds have an older version, which is not voting percentage based, and it does not allow for aggregation. So you have to take votes separately for the 2023 bonds and the 2026 bonds. And even more so, as I mentioned, they're not voting based. They're based on quorum, which is basically how many people were present in the meeting where you were taking the vote for a change in the terms. So here the quorum requirement is uh, not less than two thirds of the of the holders representing the outstanding principle. So as you can see on there is a likelihood of holdouts from these two bonds because of two reasons. One, they can't become a part of the rest of the 14 and be aggregated for votes. Second is that uh, if you see the 2023 bonds, only about um, 149 million USD is outstanding from the original 1 billion amount for these bonds. And if you look at the 2026 bonds, their first redemption installment is due in January 2024. So if you take both of these factors into consideration, there is a likelihood that we might see some holdouts, at least from these two bonds, especially if uh, the bondholders believe that Ghana can make it through into 2024. Right. So if I've understood that correctly, then, and, and as you said, the 2023 bond is a relatively small maturity and it, and it's coming up you know, fairly soon. But for the 26s, you could be looking at, uh, you know, if a group formed, say, of, of you know, one third of the of the principle of the bond, that could potentially uh, block the the restructuring of those notes. So I guess that that just raises the prospect of, of you know, a kind of holdout group forming or, or, or hedge funds starting to, to, to scratch their heads and, and think, well, you know, maybe there's some some additional value to the 2026s. So Juliana, I don't know, have any of your market sources suggested that the, the 26s might have additional holdout value? Um, I, or, 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 you know, has that not been priced into the into the the value of the 26s? Well, it's interesting, but people do not seem to be talking about the 2026s. They are more interested in what happens to the euro bonds due in 2030, um, the ones which are partially guaranteed by the International Development Association of the World Bank. And I have not seen prices for the 2026 um, are that they are any different to, to the rest of the of the curve, to be honest. Also, as one bondholder explained to me, the Ghana story has been so well covered and followed so closely by the market over many months. So any positioning would have likely already happened. Um, but you know, we are just talking also about. Um, a potential restructuring down the line um, and the kind of the feedback I've been getting from, from people, certainly from the ones who have been with Ghana for a long time, is that we are still in a phase where we can get things done. Ghana can still service its debt, unlike Sri Lanka, for example. And while bondholders do not want to talk about haircuts, of course not, they would never raise this so early on, and they are still waiting for, for, for an assessment from the IMF. 
But the feedback I've been getting, they are being open to a constructive dialogue. See, okay, okay. And and Gauzy, maybe we could jump back to you. I mean, let's let's kind of think of a, a, a worst case scenario. I mean, you you discussed in, in your report that you put out last week about the possibility that uh, that uh, you know regardless of of what uh, process the, the the sovereign decides to to go down, if if any. Um, that bondholders could try to to derail the entire uh, liability management exercise through through litigation possibilities. So, could we see bondholders attempting to to do something like this? Yes, yes. So I am uh, guilty of <laughs> painting that bleak picture, but that's because of the inherent nature of these processes. So, if you look at corp- most corporate restructurings, what happens is that their restructurings are legislation based. And at some point of time, there is a sort of blessing from the court on the final change in terms, which essentially binds all creditors involved. And that is usually smoother and with less litigation. I would not say no litigation at all. It's less litigation there. But since this is an option that's not available to sovereigns, you have to follow the contractual CAC route. Now, because of that, since it's a contractual exercise with nothing really binding you beyond the terms of your contract, there is always a possibility of litigation. So holdouts can initiate proceedings, they can create obstructions during the process, or even after the completion of the process, they can raise the question as to the legality or validity of the entire process. And, you know, in the worst case scenario, they could also render the entire process defunct. So yes, there is always that bleak, uh, litigation possibility when it comes to such contractual processes. Yeah, can I just add to that, that, uh, I mean, I think an important aspect is also the political one. So there is elections in December 2024. The current MPP administration is is seen as very investor friendly. I mean, you can see that from essentially how long they've tried to hold out from what is, in my opinion, the uh, inevitable but uh, you know, with the current economic conditions, I do think the opposition National Democratic uh, Convention (NDC) party is in pole position to win the uh, December 2024 election. I think it's worth keeping in mind for any potential holdout investor is or any eurobond holder that it might be a, an attractive option to try to close a deal, uh, restructuring deal with the uh, existing. Uh, uh, MPP administration before December 2024, because uh, I think the positioning from the government, if there is a, a regime change in December 2024, is probably going to be uh, uh, tougher. So, of course, you know, you can, there is for some the attraction of of trying a sort of holdout strategy as seen by Elliot's investor investment in, in, in Argentina, but there's also another incentive to perhaps close a deal uh, as uh, before the December 2024 elections. Lastly, I mean, as we discussed earlier, we talked kind of about the the significance of domestic debt within the within the the mix um, of of Ghana's overall debt stack. Gozi, I mean, how 
difficult or or easy would it be from a from a legal standpoint for for Ghana to to restructure that domestic debt? Would it be as straightforward as as simply introducing a moratorium um, uh, and en- enacting that through through local legislation? Yes, so with domestic debt, because it is governed by domestic law, there's a lot of leeway. You can do very much anything on that front by way of legislation. And uh, as you mentioned, a moratorium might be the favored option because one is it it obviously restricts your payment obligations for a period of time. And second is it will also buy them time to figure out how to deal with all of their debt, be it their eurobond debt or, or be it their domestic debt. As Mark and Juliana have mentioned that Domestic debt restructuring does not seem to be the popular opinion right now. But even if they were to do that without using the moratorium rule, they could go the Greek way and introduce collective action clauses to these bonds by way of a legislation. So really, when it's your own law that you have to enact, you can do anything. Really, That would be the smoothest uh, change in terms and restructuring or payment deferral that they would do in in all of their collective debt. Okay, I see. So legislatively, or, or, or in terms of in practice, actually probably not too difficult to restructure the domestic debt. But of course, the question really is, would they actually want to, to restructure the domestic debt? Um, I think we'll leave it there for today. Um, I think that's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Um, I'd like to thank everyone uh, for participating. Mark Boland, Senior Analyst with Red Intelligence, Ghazi Sheikh, Legal Analyst, and Juliana Vilkos, Editor with the Red Semia team. Um, I'd encourage everyone, if you want to find out more about uh, Ghana or, or any other emerging market credit situations, uh, redintelligence.com is providing uh, real-time news, research, and and now podcasts on on various different subjects uh, in terms of high yield credit across the emerging market space. So I encourage everyone to to visit redintelligence.com to find out more. 